Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have a season premiere for you today. That's right. We are launching season five of the Liturgy Guys. Hold your applause, please. Hold your applause. I cannot believe that we are doing season five, but you guys keep listening to this and I'm going to keep making podcasts because I absolutely love it. I love all the emails you guys have been sending us this summer. Please, please don't hesitate to reach out to us and tell us how amazing we are and, and everything like that. Uh, but if you want to support us and help us to make more of these, please, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash liturgy. Also, because I am feeling very generous today, next week we are launching a brand new online course for our Certificate of Completion program, and it is on the art of celebrating Mass, and it is taught by Father Dennis Gill, who is a visiting professor of the Liturgical Institute, and he works in the worship office for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. This course is amazing. You really, really should check it out. If I could have every single Catholic person take this class, I absolutely would, especially especially priests and clergy. So if you want to get this class for more than 50% off, which is when we what we usually price it at when we launch a course, you can get this for 40 bucks, and I will put a link in the description of the show. Um, if you don't know where to get this outside of an app, you can just go to liturgyguys.com. All of our podcasts will be there. And in the show notes, there'll be a link where you can get this course, The Art of Celebrating Mass, for 40 bucks. And you'll, you'll be able to get this for 40 bucks up until next Friday. So please take advantage of that offer. And this week, for our first episode, we have a really great topic. We're talking about that priest in uh, Michigan who found out that his baptism was invalid. So we're going to talk about that and all the things that, uh, that happened after that and what has to be done and what counts as licit and what's valid, all of that. So without further ado, episode one of season five of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Oh, hello, gentlemen. Oh, hello, Jesse. Hello, guys. Guys season five, of liturgy. Season five. <laughs> guys of liturgy. I like that. You know how long I've been waiting for season five? Since um, season one, I've been waiting. For season <laughs> Chris, uh, Chris, I'm so glad you thought about doing this podcast. It was one of the, my best ideas. <laughs> I'm leaving in season three. <laughs> I'm leaving after season three. That's good. I like that. Uh, Chris, I have uh, I have some reconciliation that I'm seeking with you right now. Oh, with me? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I was thinking about way back in season one, and I think that Dennis and I really teased you about Aiden Nichols mm. so, that, so that you never wanted to quote him again. And now season two, three, and four, we've been without any type of quotes from Aiden Nichols. And I think we deprived ourselves of more intellectual knowledge because we teased you. So I would like some reconciliation there. What, what does that mean? It means I, I want you to quote. I forgive you? Yeah. Well, and then also I want you to quote something by Aiden Nichols. I'll see if I can dig up a good Aiden Nichols quote for a, a future uh, uh, podcast. Yeah. And we shouldn't really joke about him too much. He's a great theological mind, Aiden Nichols. So. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, just another thing, too. I'm so excited to start season five with you gentlemen. First of all, we have uh, reached a new threshold of downloads. So we're at 600,000 downloads of this oh, podcast. Yeah. And we didn't get a cake. And we didn't. Dennis wants a cake anytime we do a podcast episode. He no, wants when we have, you were a pie crust, million. Yeah, I would like a cake. Um, well, yeah, we should have we should have a huge cake for a million when we get there. Yeah, and um, bacon, bacon for sure. A bacon cake? Well, just bacon. Okay. Okay. Bacon bacon. Cake. <laughs> but uh, but also okay. So we we hit six hundred thousand. I think that's really great. But then before the show today, we were discussing our top ten episodes, and and it seems we have some favorites from the listeners. I think so. The first four episodes that we ever did, those are the. Those are in the top 10 for sure, because I think people will go back to the beginning or, or, mm-hmm. or, or they will try to listen to the beginning. Those are our worst uh, episodes. I yeah. think. It's hard no. to believe those are the listened, most listened to when people actually came back. We didn't know what we were doing back then. It, the content was good. But first of all, I had a cold. Chris was stiff as a board. Yeah. Yeah. He was. And, and I had a cold and I, I said like this for the first eight episodes. Um, so that was terrible. So, but the content is good. And then people, I'll tell you this, the thing that's really highlighted in these top 10, there's two things I want to note. One, the, uh, Triduum, the Easter Triduum. So that podcast is up there. I merged two, a two parter into one rebroadcast that we that is solely due to Chris's genius. I will. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that, that is up there. And then there are three, episodes in the top 10 from our run through of Sacrosanctum and Concilium. So mm-hmm. Chris, again, that was a very good idea of yours to do. Yeah. So well, true confession, I'm Chris's genius. No, true confession time. I'm the one who's gone back and re-downloaded those. <laughs> <laughs> because you forgot something smart that I said. Is that why? <laughs> something like that. Yes. <laughs> I like that. So thank you listeners for listening Thank you, Patreon supporters, for supporting. This wouldn't happen without you. And and Chris, you say you get you're getting really recognized now. Um, out, out in the street, people will stop you and say, "Hey, I know <laughs> that stranger. I know that beard." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a good thing his beard doesn't show up on the podcast. That would uh, squelch the numbers a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I meet uh, uh, lots of people who actually listen to the podcast. So. Besides my mom, this is awesome. <laughs> Love my, you, mom. Mom. my mom's our biggest fan. <laughs> and I can tell you yesterday in class, Abe Peralt, who's one of the great Benedictine students of all time. I always write on the board before class all the things we're going to do. So I have number one, pray, number two, questions, number three, whatever reading. And Abe wrote on the board, he tried to imitate what I would do before I got there. And it said, demand Chris's reading because we're reading something from Chris's book. So you are mm-hmm. not just... Karsten's reading, you were a dumb man. Chris is reading. So thank you, Abe. You are well loved. Mm-hmm. Chris here. Well, uh, we have a very hot topic today. Yeah. Hot, hot off the presses. We are talking about baptism and the invalid baptism. And we're referencing that story that came out of the Archdiocese of Detroit, where we had a priest that found out that he was invalidly baptized and then the ripple effects that that had throughout his ministry. And so I'm sure you guys have heard of this story, but we're going to do a deep dive into this and we're going to tell you all of the implications. And when I say we, I mean, probably Chris. Um, 
<laughs> so um you'll be the pet sajak i'll be the vanna white of this Ooh, and what, am, what am i what am i am i the board with all the letters i guess so yep all right uh chris or dennis actually can you kind of cover the story surmise it a little and then we can start to uh ask chris all of these really difficult questions and implications yeah. Well, many years ago, there was a, a permanent deacon who I understand is now retired in the Detroit Archdiocese, and he was baptizing people with the formula, we baptize you rather than I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, back in the 90s, a lot of things were going around and he was asked to stop doing that. And I guess he did. But most people either didn't notice or don't remember. So here we have this priest later who has been ordained, I think, three years and someone sends him a video of his baptism, I guess, because it's, you know, nostalgic. And he watches it and he finds out he's been baptized with this invalid formula. We baptize you. And I guess they knew about it for a long time, but that no, but no ruling had come from the Vatican, whether that was valid or invalid, because the Trinitarian formula was still there, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so the question was, does I baptize you, make it valid, and we baptize you, make it invalid? And so they sent a, you know, dubia to Rome, which is basically a question saying, is this valid? And they got a response back approved by Pope Francis, but from the, um, the prefect of the appropriate office saying, no, this is not valid. In other words, this guy wasn't baptized. Therefore, his other sacraments were not valid. Therefore, he was not ordained. And therefore, as a priest, the things that require validity of ordination were not valid either for other people. Does that mean he has to go through eight more years of seminary? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that would be like a purgatory experience for him. But uh, no, he had to get baptized again. There's something called provisional baptism where they're not really sure, but they do it just in case. This was not provisional. This was absolute because they had evidence on video. And of course, you can see what it means. People, well, was my marriage with this priest valid? Was my baptism of my child valid? Was my confession valid? And uh, this is one reason why you don't mess around with liturgical formulas, because not only because, you know, canon lawyer types are interested in the precise wording, but because it sets this whole chain of um, things into action that you wonder, was this valid for me or not? And in fact, there was another commentary I sent you, Chris, that it, the, the uh, guy said, what if Pope Francis had been invalidly baptized? He would not be a priest. He would not be a bishop. He would not be a a pope, <laughs> then what will we do? Then all the cardinals and bishops he made would not be valid. Think of the, the, the kind of what if that John the Baptist didn't baptize Jesus? Whoa! Yeah, Jesus didn't really need it, so that must have been <laughs> provisional or something. So anyway, that's the setup. And I guess people have these questions like, well, why does it matter so much? Aren't you just being legalistic? I versus we? What's the difference? Come on, and. Uh, so it's an opportunity to really talk about the precision of liturgical words. And Chris is our master of mm. word knowledge. So, Chris, we have all the questions right now. Yeah. So I think the first question is, okay, how do you remedy that situation? So if you're in the diocese and this has happened, what's the first step? What do you have to do? And I, I would assume that's make sure that he gets all the sacraments that he needs. But what does that look like? Yeah, well, I think that's that's what happened is uh, he made a short uh, canonical retreat, was baptized, confirmed, ordained a deacon, and then ordained a priest. And that all happened in pretty pretty short order. Um, 
But then there's the question of, you know, what happened to those people for whom he celebrated sacraments also invalidly. So the, the, the baptisms that he celebrated would be, would be valid. The confirmations would not. The masses would not. The confessions would not. The anointings would not be valid. There's some question about the marriages that he witnessed, uh, even though the couple is the, the minister of the sacrament for sacramental validity in the Catholic Church is what's called canonical form, meaning that the, they need to, uh, the, the church has to receive their vows by, for validity by an appropriately appointed uh, uh, representative of the church. And so th- that gets really, uh, really a confusing question. So, yeah, there's all sorts of um, unfortunate uh, fallout from this. But I think... Uh, I think, Jesse, what I'd like to do in answering this, because, um, you know, Dennis, you suggested this, too. I mean, isn't this just kind of, and many of the articles have, too. This is a form of legalism and, uh, you know, why does why does all this really matter? Sometimes you hear this thing called ecclesia suplet that, you know, if something goes wrong, the church will just provide and things like that. But that's not really a, an appropriate application of this, too. So what I'd like to do to get... Um, to clarify some of these answers is uh, kind of take a few steps back and, and kind of contextualize this. Um, yeah. Tell me about words, Chris. Hopefully that's well, where you're going. But. Yeah, it is. But I think oh, tell me too. I want to know about words. <laughs> Let's even go back farther. Is that, you know, the sacramental, <coughs> excuse me. Yes. Season five's there. first cough from Chris. Early. Hey, good job, everybody. Hey, so the, uh, uh, the, the, Right. We can lose the what's the expression? We can lose the forest for the trees. I mean, so you can really hone in on a particular word or particular law or something like that. But let's take a big step back. And what happens in the sacraments by God's own design is the sacraments are meant to be encounters with with uh, with uh, Christ. So how God has set this up is that on the one hand, you have Jesus and his Paschal mystery. And on the other hand, you have his people. And the point the place where they meet is in the sacraments. And so that's what's what's happening here. And a sacrament is this tapestry of words and materials and people and things like that. And if you can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. And the reason we do that is because that's the way we encounter Christ. Because typically he doesn't come down to earth very often in mystical visions. The normal way to encounter Christ's actual action in your life is through this tapestry of the sacraments, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, you can even, I mean, even Jesus is, you know, this Dennis is referred to as a sacrament. He's the visible image of the invisible God, right? So he's kind of sometimes referred to as the primary sacrament that it's through him, Jesus, uh, the incarnate Christ as the sign and instrument that we come to have access to the father. And if you don't go through that sacrament of Christ, you don't get to the father. I and mean, he's mm-hmm. the only way. And this and happens so, in the church, right? The church is the sacrament of Christ. If, if right. And then the, the church, the father, yeah. Yeah, is the sacrament of Christ, and these seven sacraments are the ways to get through his body, through Christ, to the church. Um, and so, what what can happen is, is we can skew the sacramental signs so much that they no longer reveal Christ. They reveal something else. Now, if we do that to a great degree, it's uh, the sacrament, one of the seven sacraments is said to be invalid, meaning it does not do what it is setting out to do because we have messed up the signs so much. And this is an example of that is we, so we haven't said the If right the word. priest says over the host and the altar, this is a banana, it's not a banana and it's not the body of Christ, right? So That's you see correct. where 
the words follow the intention. If he says that, I'm going to split. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, it can sound fussy, but think about it basic that way. The priest says, this is a banana. It's not a sign that it doesn't become what the words are trying to make it become. And so if you don't say, I baptize you, you don't baptize. Right? Yeah, but but you're, you're right here. It's about the sign. You know, when you read the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith's uh, explanation of their responses, it's constantly talking about the, quote, sign presence of Christ. Right? Yeah, I loved that. It's a hyphenated word, sign presence. Yeah. See, I mean, and th this is um, this is this, this is the true um, answer to this question. It's not because a law was broken. I mean, it was. But what's at stake here is that Jesus acts through sacraments, which are supernatural signs. And if you get the sign wrong then you, get, you don't have this encounter with God. So an invalid sacrament is where the sign is so skewed for a variety of reasons, I'll explain those in a second, that it's, it doesn't, ha nothing happens. Now, you can, you can skew it a little bit, but still the essentials are there and that's called illicit, right? So, illegal, right? Illegal. Yeah, illegal, right? All of the, the fundamental and essential components are there, but somehow it's not according to the mind of the church for some reason, and uh, uh, it's the, the sacrament still happens, but not uh, as, as the church would want. Okay? Right. So wearing a stole over your chasuble would be illicit, right? But it wouldn't affect Correct. the priest's capacity to formulate the prayer for the Eucharist. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Very good. So to make a, a, a sacrament valid, there's really kind of four principal things that have, have to be there. And if one of these is so off then it becomes invalid and nothing happens, right? So the first is that you have to have valid matter, okay? Because part of the sign is made up of matter and form, matter and form. And if you use invalid matter, then uh, the sacrament doesn't happen. Matter right? so is stuff, right? The stuff, yeah. yeah, the stuff. The bread, the wine, the person, the water, things like that. Uh, yeah, the bread, the wine, the water. If you use things that aren't bread, aren't wine, or aren't water in, say, the sacrament of baptism or the Eucharist, then um, nothing happens. Or to forgive the sins of a banana. Going back to the banana. Yeah, well, the, a person yeah. is proper matter for the sacrament of confession, reconciliation, right? That. Yeah, that's that's correct. See, and now it, actually, the, the sacrament of confession is is a tricky one because you don't see anything there, like you like you see water, or see bread, or see wine, or something like that. And so, in the, for the sacrament of confession, they call this theologians call it quasi matter. It's sort of like Ooh. matter, but it's it's the con, it's the conf, contrition, the confession, and the satisfaction of the penitent. And if those aren't there, if you're not really sorry, or you don't intend to do anything about it, or you uh, you don't uh, confess all your sins. That's invalid matter. And so nothing happens. And um, for ordination, you have to be a person, right? And a male, right? So that's... Well, that's true. See, now we're talking about matter now. Let, let's hold that for uh, the recipient because you can have invalid recipients too. Oh, right? man. So, so but for valid sacrament, you have to have... Dennis, you're an invalid recipient. I'm you're trying, trying, to, way. You're trying to say smart things. Valid right? matter. I'm trying to help. You have to have a valid form. All right. So uh, if if when Jesse and Kim were getting married and they said, Jesse, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? And you said, I might. 
<laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Okay. I was, I was more worried she was going to say that. <laughs> you signified not. a very different reality from you becoming uh, an image of Christ and she becoming an image of a church. Now, Dennis, do you remember this example we used to use when we do the mystical body talks on uh, on the, the the new missile? Mystical body, mystical, mystical boys. boys. All right, so we got it that time. When President Obama was sworn in by uh, the Chief Justice John Roberts, this is back in 2009. When this was, uh, this it was 2009, but it was yeah, a okay. yeah, 2008 election. But 2009, right, was right. Okay, in. so the uh, Chief Justice administers uh, this oath, where uh, so he says it, and then the president is supposed to repeat it. He says, "I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States." Now, when when uh, Roberts said the words, he said that I will execute the office of president of the United States faithfully. Mm. Right. So we mixed the word order and there's this little confusion and they kind of talked over each other. So do you know what they did the very next day? Did they redo it? They redid it in the Oval Office with the exact words, uh, just out of an abundance of caution is how they said it. I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, becoming president is a sacrament, but see, the, the point is, is that when people think that this is, um, you know, just some hyped up church uh, uh, legalism or something like that, it's not. I mean, humans want, there's a certain way to communicate. There's a certain way uh, to say a thing. So you have to have proper form. And now this is what was invalid for this particular instance of, of the baptism. Now, a third thing you have to have for a valid uh, sacrament is you have to have a valid minister, right? So, Dennis, you can have valid matter and uh, valid form, and Which you could go to the altar and you sure can say do. all the words you wanted, but you're 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 not uh, a valid minister. Right? Why so do you hate me? Happens. Why do you hate me, Chris? Nothing happens. Now, for baptism, a lay person, even a non-believer can baptize Yeah. Okay, as, as long as he has. And this is the other part about the minister. You, he has to have the intention of doing what the church does when she celebrates a sacrament. Right. So you have to actually intend to do what the church uh, is going to do. Right. Now, and then the fourth thing is uh, there has to be sort of a valid recipient. Right. So you can't confirm your dog. Uh, you can't marry your sister, things like that. These are kind of invalid. You have to have. If uh, I was a priest, I could marry my sister. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that's good. All right. So these things have to be uh, have to be in order. All right. So what happened in this case of the baptism? Did you have valid matter? Uh, yes. Yes. Did you yeah. have a valid minister? Yes. Yes. Did, Did you, you have know? a valid recipient? Yes. yes. Did you have a valid form? No. No. No, you didn't. Um, and this is where the, the trouble started. So the sacrament was uh, not validly uh, administered because the formula we baptize you is an invalid formula. So we're talking about the priest as a baby was invalidly baptized, not what he did later after he was a priest. Yeah. Right. So the baptisms that he did later were valid because a, a, a lay a layperson can validly baptize. Right. Can I can I ask a question about the validity of the minister? Mm-hmm. Because I think this question comes up, especially in regard to sacraments. And if the minister is in a state of grace or the recipient is not in a state of grace, how does that play into the fact of validity? Yeah. 
for uh, what sacramental theology says is that the church, and this is this is relevant to this question, is that uh, sacraments work ex opere operato, and they basically mean yes. that Jesus is the principal actor in the sacraments. Now, part of the part of the reason that this is an invalid baptism too is that he didn't signify that. He wasn't the sign presence of Christ by using this different formula. And there's that first person singular pronoun. I baptize you. Those are the words of Christ being signified by this deacon. And when he said we baptize, he's trying to include the community, but the community doesn't have the authority that Christ has. So he wasn't sacramentalizing Christ. He was speaking on behalf of the community, which is not the same thing. Yeah, again, that the over and over again, this explanation uses the term the sign presence of Christ, and that wasn't signified. And when you stop signifying sacraments are signs, yep. then the sacrament goes goes bad. You know what yeah, the so first that, paragraph from the, the Vatican thing said? Um, here resurfaces the ancient temptation to substitute for the formula handed down by tradition other texts judged more suitable. I loved that because it's not just a 20th century phenomenon. It's like the ancient temptation to come up with words people like better than the church's own words. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of uh, the holiness of the minister, Jesse, because Christ is the primary actor, the church says is it doesn't matter how holy or unholy the minister is, how orthodox or unorthodox um, the minister is, how strong his faith or how weak his faith is, as long as he has the intention of doing what the church does. I mean, those things aren't uh, irrelevant, but they don't affect, uh, affect the validity of a sacrament. So, so you go to confession to a very holy priest or a not very holy priest, and you were equally forgiven of your sins. So the, so the next question here is uh, what I told Dennis would be our next band name would be transitive invalidity to the extent that uh, if so, if we need a valid minister, and then that priest is no longer a valid minister because he was in uh, invalidly. Is that a word? Uh, he was not baptized validly. Then that that doesn't allow him to be a valid minister for others sacraments. Correct. Some other sacraments. Okay, because the sacrament of confirmation requires what they call priestly character, and, and celebrate the Eucharist requires priestly character, and anointing and confession require priestly characters. Yeah, so those would all be invalid. But the minister for baptism does not need to be an ordained person. Yeah. Okay? We've all heard the story of the grandma who baptizes the baby in the hospital like the minute the baby's born because they're afraid the baby might die before its first mm -hmm. uh, after official baptism, and that's a valid baptism. You're not supposed to do it, but it actually is sacramentally valid. It would be illicit, but it would be valid. If she used matter and form, yeah. 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 So what uh, in the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently doing is trying to contact all of these people that may have been baptized by this uh, particular deacon back in the I don't know, 80s or 90s. This is like a sacramental outbreak where you have to, like, go back and find out who they had in, who they had, were in contact with and contact all of that. Person. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's it's. Um, it's it's clearly sad and unfortunate things like that. But I think, you know, the, there's been so many stories written about this and very good ones. Um, but I think the point we would want to have taken away from this is it's not a matter of mere legalism. Um, the laws are important because they safeguard the encounter and the action of Christ. That's what's at stake here is the encounter that the person has with Christ. Christ works through sacraments. And if we... 
mess up those sacramental signs. What's at stake here is the saving, uh, the application of the saving grace of Christ to his people. Mm -hmm. A huge thing. That's why this is so unfortunate, not simply because they broke a law, but because salvation questions are at hand. Now, it's very timely, Chris, that we were reading your chapter from your new book about liturgically speaking. What book? What's the name of that book? Sacramental Theology. Mm, uh, Principles of Sacred Liturgy. Everybody go out and buy it. Best book ever. Um, (laughs) But you're making the point that the Father speaks, right? When creation happens, let there be light. Let there be this. That words are efficacious. It's what causes things to happen. If he hadn't said, let there be light and said, let there be bananas. Let's go back to bananas. There would be no light. You got to get off those bananas, man. (laughs) It's not appealing. Why do people keep telling me that? Um, Good one, Chris. And so if we're going to act as Christ, we speak the words in imitation of God's creative words that are effective, right? They do what they say. And if you don't say the thing you want to do, then it doesn't get done, right? Simple as that. Yeah. Well, and think too about um, in the beginning was the word. The second person of the Trinity is called a word. And so in in our sacramental celebration of his saving work, uh, words are are paramount. I mean, because they they are they they they're so they have such capacity to uh, to echo and to reveal the word of the Trinity. So it matters how you say a thing, because if you say it poorly or unclearly or invalidly, uh, you're not revealing the eternal word of the Trinity. And that's the whole point of everything right. is to encounter the word. And that encounter is the efficacious moment, right? And Christ yeah. says, I baptize you through the minister. Then it happens. So signs, these signs confer the grace that they signify. That's the old maxim Monsignor Mannion, Mannion taught me years ago. Signs confer grace by signifying. And if they don't signify, it's not conferred. That's right. That's All right, right. guys. Uh, I think it's time to answer the first question of season five. What do you think, Chris? If Let's make it an easy one at this point. <laughs> All right. It'll, the question will be about invalid bananas. So get ready. Mm, invalid So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Um, Okay, uh, this week's question comes from an Agnes Weiler. Hmm. And Agnes... Any relation? Uh, oh, yeah. She's my daughter. Okay. And we were on the way to church, and we pray a rosary on the way to church, and we ask for intentions before before uh, we pray the rosary. And she had just seen this uh, animation, um, you know, children's cartoon about Jesus and the crucifixion, and she felt bad that he had to carry the cross. So she oh. decided that she wanted to pray for him. And in principle, uh, you know, Christ does not need our prayer. We don't need to pray for him in that way. But it got me to start thinking about 
what, what is the line there? You know, should I tell her, oh, we don't pray for Jesus. You're a terrible person. Um, <laughs> you're your, 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 theology, your theology is terrible. Uh, go learn something. Or, you know, you know, how do I cultivate that in, in her? And I think maybe other people might have a similar question. So, um, Agnes, I hope you listen to this podcast. And uh, if you do, go to bed. It's too late. <laughs> but remember I mean, to support us on Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> Tell Daddy to support us on Patreon. Well, you have a start on that, Chris? I have an idea or two. But. Yeah, well, that's all I have is um, – I don't know the answer, but these are the things. All, that you, are, all you have is me asking you a question. Well, no, I think it's a good question because it it makes you uh, makes you think about it. Here's the things that came to mind: is I heard an anecdote once about uh, this teacher told his class that he still he prays for Saint Augustine. He still prays for Saint Augustine because God is outside of time, and so his prayers that he makes in the 21st century can be applicable to Saint Augustine's uh, struggles back in the what well, I guess the fourth, fifth century. That's deep. And so I thought about that. So then I, you know, was like Jesus's mother Mary praying for him during the time when he was carrying the cross. I suppose, I would I would think she yeah. would be. There were some things I thought, but then you know also now what Agnes meant was praying, inter- asking intercession for Jesus from Jesus, from Jesus, so that he will uh, carry he'll his sufferings will be limited. He'll carry the cross and things like that. But remember, there's a lot of other types of prayers that you can you're not just praying for that. So praying for Jesus to to intercede for us, praying to slash for Jesus and thanksgiving and honor and praise. So, like I said, I don't know what the answer is, but I think it it uh, makes you put a finer point on what you believe prayer is about. So, I don't know. Enough of that rambling. What's the answer, right. Dennis? Uh, well, yeah. my thought is, you know, you, you always hold together Christ's divinity and his humanity, and obviously suffers in his humanity. And in the Paschal mystery not just as we exist now but i mean the historical event so i think it speaks well of the sweetheart of agnes that she sees somebody suffering and she wants to help i think we have to say you know whatever support christ got in his humanity from the father or the angels or you know that ministered to him in the desert things like that it sounded like his humanity needed prayers then but he is now resurrected and so we remember his uh, suffering but i can't I can't imagine that he needs our prayers to get through the, the mysteries that we celebrate in the Triduum anymore because he's resurrected. He's at the right hand of the Father. Um, unless you're saying they go backwards in time and help him in actual historical <laughs> I wonder if it's closer to say that uh, we pray to Jesus in thanksgiving rather than we pray that he'll succeed in his passion. So I, I think it's hard to pray to or – for, it's the word for, I guess. Yeah. It's not like you'd pray for your friend who's suffering. You could pray with Christ, as Christ even, as a member of his body. But I think it's mostly just a sweet girl who sees someone in pain and wants to help. Yeah, but I just want to be... divinity makes him get through his suffering with perfect love, perfect peace, perfect compassion for our situation, perfect uh, acceptance of that plan out of perfect You know, love. it is a sweet girl, though, but how many adults... <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking, think about, I was thinking about that... The childlike wonder and on the childlike caring, and that's where that's where it, it sprouted from with her. She saw somebody in pain or hurting or doing something that she knew was difficult or or a struggle, and that's a good thing. And so my 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 question in principle is like, how do I 
how do I, you know, correct her little, you know, five-year-old theology while, while not turning off that, that uh, imagination for prayer. Right. Jesus is God and he suffered for us freely, perfectly, lovingly out of perfect love. So I would say he doesn't, now it doesn't mean our prayers because he's, he's finished his task, but it speaks well of her heart. That's what I'd say. And this is absolutely true that in the same instance, when we were asking for intentions, Isaac decided to pray for Halloween and Christmas. So <laughs> I think that's a question another for another day on the liturgy, guys. But uh, I guess you, you could tell her, let her understand that Christ suffered perfectly because he trusted God so much. And if she ever suffers in her life, mm-hmm. she can trust God that it's not for nothing and that God's making her holy and perfect, too. You know, whatever her little heart is suffering, uh, she... You know, uh, in, in sorrow for what Christ went through is, is what she's supposed to do or we're all supposed to do is join that to his very suffering. And I think in so many words, that's what she's doing. And that's a that's a good and beautiful thing. Well, I will relay all of those principles to her as a matter of fact, and we'll see what her response is. Maybe maybe I'll tell maybe I'll play this little clip for her and then record her response. She might just be like, oh, OK. <laughs> what we're really saying, Agnes, is you're a sweet girl. <laughs> uh, all right. So I hope that answers your question, Agnes. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet Dennis at DMAC Super Taster or colon, taste more than you do. Or you could tape your question to a bottle of beer and sooner or later it will make it to Chris Carson's household and he may see it. Actually, you could write it on a full bottle of beer. That would be more. (laughs) Yeah, right. All right. Thank you and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.